Thank you very much, Stephen, for such a very warm and indeed uh, sweet welcome in the Lord's name here this morning. It's always a great honor to represent the Lord Jesus Christ, no matter where it is, no matter what the pulpit is, it's a great honor to share and to represent the truth of God to the people. I thank God for this church, this witness in the gospel, and for the impact that it has over so long a time. And I sincerely and with all of my heart believe that the best days, the best days of this church and its testimony and its witness for Jesus Christ are ahead of it. And perhaps uh, we will see uh, greater things, mighty things, in the not-too-distant future. It also remains to be said that there are very, very challenging days ahead. There may come a time when some members of this congregation will be put in prison. There could come a time before Jesus returns, perhaps, perhaps, when some of us will be attacked, maybe even killed, for the sake of the gospel. You might think that that is extremely far-fetched. But let me tell you that we're living in frightening times, and at the pace that things have gone in the last ten years, indeed in the last three to five years, it indicates to us how quickly things can change. And they are changing, and they're changing in a very negative way currently against the gospel and against the Christian and against evangelical Bible-preaching churches. If you are soft-peddling, if you are a compromiser, if you're ecumenical, if um, you exercise a ministry virtually without the Bible or without impressing the vital and deep truths of the Word of God upon the people, you preach a, a gospel that doesn't cost. It'll not affect you. You'll be bypassed. You'll be, you will be left smiling. You will be everybody's friend. But those who stand up for Jesus like we've been singing as soldiers off the cross, it's going to cost you. I congratulate those seven uh, lovely people who have come forward at this time to be admitted into the membership of this church. I congratulate you not just for becoming a member. I congratulate you for not being ashamed to be identified with an evangelical Bible preaching, uncompromising church and witness in this community. And I encourage others of you to consider doing the same. Nail your colors to the mast. It's easy for me to do this because I am not a member here, but I am indeed um, a very strong friend and partner in the gospel with Brother Bertie and Brother Stephen and with the oversight. Don't be ashamed to take your stand, and God will bless you for it. You might be wondering, why does my wife sit so close to the pulpit? Uh, I thought I'd tell you why. She likes to keep a very, very close eye on me. <laughs> I thank God for my wife because she's a praying woman, and uh, she likes to be close to the ministry that is being shared that so, so that she can pray and intercede, as she does throughout every meeting where I preach. In Africa, I distribute a lot of books. Probably I have distributed in the region of 100,000 books, and I continue to do that uh, to pastors and to um, theological colleges, 
and to all kinds of ministries. I do it continually. My wife, by the, my wife and I are going back on the 6th of February uh, to Africa. We'll be there for six weeks, which is a shorter time than usual, but we're on our way back. And my wife is absolutely delighted uh, to enjoy her clean bill of health and the blessing in favor of God, and she's very excited about returning. We would humbly ask you to pray for us. We have a very, very busy program that will involve a lot of travel and a lot of ministry and uh, some significant events. So please stand with us as we return in a few days' time. It's where our hearts are. I wish that all of you could visit Africa to see the poverty and then appreciate everything that you have. I wish that you could visit Africa to feel and sense the vibrancy, the power of God in the meetings. Really, it's here, and uh, I can't say that about everywhere I visit uh, to preach. It's here, but to a much, much greater extent in Africa, there is a pulse, there's a heartbeat, there is a divine awe and majesty, there's an awakening. And today is the Lord's Day in Kenya. The services are all over now because they're three hours ahead of us uh, in, in regard to Greenwich Mean Time. Services are over. But today there will be hundreds of thousands of people that will come to know Jesus Christ. Hundreds of thousands. And there will be hundreds of churches during the course, the remainder of this month, in the month of January, there will be hundreds, literally hundreds of new churches birthed across Africa. Because God is working and the Holy Ghost is being poured out. I wish you could visit Africa to see something of that happening. Or to be in the churches while they're worshiping, they will worship for perhaps uh, at least 45 minutes. Generally, it's an hour to an hour and a half. And uh, every 10 minutes, they will just burst spontaneously into prayer. Spontaneously into prayer. And they will pray and plead and touch heaven with their intercessions. It's awesome, awesome. I feel at home there, and I feel at home in those meetings, and I long uh, to be back. During the time of COVID, I felt like an orphan. For 15 months, I could not be there with my wife, and that's why she found it so difficult not to come back with me during her time of illness. But your prayers are very much coveted, and we thank you for standing with us. You are a very, very dear people to us and to God. Mentioning books, I had a reason for mentioning that, because I brought some books here this morning to, to give out to three preachers. And uh, I want to ask Pastor Bertie and uh, Pastor Stephen and our brother and preacher, Robert Little, just to come forward. It's a few books as a token of encouragement and appreciation. It's good to encourage people. Uh, I know a lot of preachers, and they love chocolates. If only they knew how much lead was in them, they'd stop eating them. I know a lot of preachers, and uh, they love holidays, and they like to get a whole lot of holidays. And there's a lot of preachers I know, and they do not love books. And they have very few books in their library, and many, a number of them that I happen to know, long before they retire, they give away all their books. I think there's something wrong, not with a man's head, but with a man's heart in the ministry who dispenses with his library. That's a serious matter, which they will have to give an account to God for. And we ought, as preachers and teachers, to be reading all of 
there's spare time if we know or have anything like that while we're in the ministry. And indeed, while we're not in the ministry, we should be reading and studying. So could I ask Bertie to come up here, please, and Robert and Stephen, and to take quickly these few books I have for you. Um, <coughs> Some folk thought I was shopping this morning before I came in. <laughs> I had this big bag coming in. I felt a bit embarrassed, actually, about it. <coughs> Bertie, there's some very unique and good books Thank there, and it's a great pleasure. And there's one or two for Pat as well. Thank you. God bless you. And uh, let me see. There's a book there that came from Africa. Thank you. And uh, you may have it, but because it's from Africa with my initials on it, you're welcome to have it clearly. And I have a box of books for you outside uh, for your use, either to distribute or to keep for your library. <clears throat> and Robert, I hope there's something there. There might even be a book about Job there. I don't know, but there was a book about Job in my box. <laughs> I heard about Job <laughs> going to be spoken about. Thank God you bless you. Much. A pleasure, Thank an absolute you. pleasure. Now we're turning to the Word of God and to the book of the Acts of the Apostles, better referred to as the Acts of the Holy Ghost, because without the Holy Ghost, we would never have heard of any of these apostles, as we call them. The word apostle means sent, the sent ones. And if God calls you to preach, and if God sends you uh, out to do that great ministry, you are, in a sense, an apostle, a sent one. But uh, please don't use that term because there were only ever uh, 12 in that category. Uh, there was one appointed here. If we had time to read, we would read of Matthias, uh, who was appointed in the place of Judas, who betrayed his Lord and sold him for money. Acts chapter 1, and we'll read into chapter 2. We'll start at verse number uh, 4, please. Verse number 4. Uh, we may move, move around a little bit, but um, I hope not too much. Verse number 4. And being assembled together with them, he commanded them that they should not depart from Jerusalem, that is, the Lord Jesus commanded them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which, saith he, ye have heard of me. For John truly baptized with water, but ye shall be baptized with the Holy Ghost not many days hence. And when they, therefore, were come together, they asked of him, saying, Lord, wilt thou at this time restore again the kingdom to Israel? And he said unto them, It is not for you to know the times or the seasons which the Father hath put in his own power. But ye shall receive power after that the Holy Ghost has come upon you, and ye shall be witnesses unto me, both in Jerusalem and in all Judea and in Samaria. And please note this. We're very familiar with the powerful commissioning text in the book of Mark. Go you into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. That is, until the last one is heard. This is a second statement of that at the end of this text. And unto the uttermost parts of the earth. And I think it's very, very significant that receiving the power or the baptism of the Holy Ghost and preaching the gospel to the uttermost parts of the earth that is worldwide evangelization. It is very significant to have those two concepts in one verse. And I believe there's a very, very powerful link. And when Jesus had spoken uh, these words, 
while they beheld him, he was taken up, and a cloud received him out of their sight. And while they looked steadfastly toward heaven, as he went up, behold, two men stood by, uh, stood by them in white apparel, two angels, which also said, Ye men of Galilee. Now notice he's, it's, the event happened in Jerusalem, and they're on the Mount of Olives, and there is 500 people there, because we're told, at least we are told that there were 500 that witnessed uh, uh, the, the, Lord, the Lord's resurrection and perhaps also His ascension. But there's a lot of people there seeing Jesus ascending to heaven. But the angels, the two angels, address these men from Galilee. That is the majority of the apostles, if not all of them. That is where they came from. Ye men of Galilee, why stand ye here gazing up into heaven? This same Jesus, which is taken up from you into heaven, shall so come in like manner as you have seen him go into heaven. Imagine being told off by angels. It was a strong rebuke. I want to talk about that for a while this morning. Then returned they on to Jerusalem from the mount called Olivet, which is from Jerusalem one mile, or about a Sabbath day's journey. And when they were come in, they went up into an upper room, which abode, where abode both Peter and James and John and Andrew and Philip and Thomas, Bartholomew and Matthew, James the son of Alphaeus, Simon Zalotes, and Judas the brother of James. These all continued with one accord in prayer and supplication with the woman and here we have the last reference to the mother of Jesus. The last reference to Mary in the New Testament. And Mary, the mother of Jesus, and with his brethren. Now chapter 2, And when the day of Pentecost was fully come, they were all with one accord in one place. And suddenly... There came a sound from heaven as of a rushing mighty wind, and it filled all the house where they were sitting. And there appeared unto them cloven tongues like as of fire, and it sat upon each of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Ghost, and began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. And for your interest and information, there were at least 13, and probably maybe, maybe very many more, maybe twice that number of different nationalities, and everybody heard the gospel preached in their own language that day. So there was no excuse for them not knowing, not understanding, not responding to the call of the gospel uh, for salvation. Now, can we pray for a moment, please? Gracious Father, we thank you for this meeting up until this juncture. We thank you for your hand upon this church, its witness and testimony over so very, very many years. We thank you for the consistent testimony, and we thank you for the consistent impact. We thank you for the hundreds of people who found Jesus Christ in this church. And we thank you, Lord, for those who have grown up in this church under the Word of God. What a great, great blessing it has been to them to be associated here. We pray once again for the new members that have come forward and that have openly, publicly, unashamedly taken their stand with the cause of the gospel, the cause of Jesus Christ, insofar as this church and its witness is concerned. 
Now, Lord, the witness of the gospel must and it will continue. And we pray for this church as it enters this new and very challenging phase of which we've been speaking. These are difficult, challenging, and dangerous times to be a Christian, to be an evangelical, born-again, Bible-believing, uncompromising Christian. And we pray for grace to be given to every believer in this church to take their stand for you and to be the kind of witness that all of us know we need to be. I thank you for the readings from the Word of God. We have each followed the reading, and we know what it's about. I thank you, Lord, that we are not in a church this morning that is afraid of the Holy Ghost, or afraid to mention the Holy Ghost, or that is afraid to invite the Holy Spirit to come into their lives in a great power and dynamic. And I pray, Lord, as we speak about the uh, presence and the power of the Holy Ghost in the early church uh, today, I pray that we will feel the touch of God. I pray for the anointing of God. As I prayed coming down in the car, I do not seek Saul's armor, his shield or his sword, but I do covet David's sling and the stone that brought down Goliath. I pray for the presence and the anointing of the Holy Ghost to speak the Word of God in simplicity and in truth and with clarity. Anoint me again, Lord, and help me to do uh, my part in presenting your Word to the people. In Jesus' name, I pray. Amen. This morning, I want to speak to you uh, during the time that I have, about uh, the key to world evangelization. Um, the thought that I have in mind relates to the dynamic of the early church. The key, the secret of the dynamic of the early church. It most certainly was not education or theological education. It was certainly not the giftings or the strength of characters that many of these individuals had, but it was undoubtedly that of which we have been reading, the empowerment, the mighty anointing of the Holy Spirit. I'm thinking about Peter just now, Standing up on the day of Pentecost, after leaving the upper room with everybody else that had been there, there were approximately 120. In fact, um, there were at least that number. I'm, I'm, I'm not aware that there were 500 there at the beginning, as sometimes perhaps we speculate. There were 120 there, uh, probably for the most part of the period of 10 days. And I, I'm convinced that there were fasting as well as praying, there is tremendous power in fasting prayer. They were fasting and praying. And they weren't going in for a short period of time. It was a prolonged, pretty much around-the-clock session, over 10 days. They basically lived there. The upper room was a home belonging to John Mark's mother, and family. John Mark was a disciple. He was not an apostle, but he was a disciple. And later on, he, he went out in ministry with um, Barnabas and Paul, who was known as Saul at that particular time, and he didn't do well. He went to Cyprus, and he came back. He was, in a way, failed or a disappointment to Paul. But he went back again and later, and he was very, very successful. And there's a, a gospel here that uh, bears his name, Mark's Gospel. But Mark's mother was a godly lady, and her home was devoted. It must have been a large home. There must have been a wealthy family, and um, it was probably there. It's, it's, a, it's possible 
that, that the, the breaking of bread, the Last Supper, it may well have been the same place. We are not sure, but there's a strong possibility that it was. And this place was a place of ministry, a place of meeting. And uh, during these ten days, prior to the event of chapter 2, when the Holy Ghost was poured out, there was a large number of people there praying and waiting upon God. There is tremendous power in corporate, united, <coughs> believing prayer. It's very, very important when we're coming to a prayer meeting that we are examining our hearts to make sure that there is nothing, nothing, nothing within us that would hinder prayer being answered. If we have had an altercation with anybody, that needs to be settled before you come to the prayer meeting. If you have failed or disappointed the Lord in any one way, that matter needs to be repented of, put right. If there's anything, any wrongdoing, any sin, failure, shortcoming, those matters need to be brought in to uh, um, realization and they need to be dealt with at the foot of the cross. So that as you come into a prayer meeting, there is nothing, nothing to hinder. Prayer being answered. The devil doesn't mind prayer meetings. He doesn't mind even people crowding prayer meetings. If they're not on praying ground, if they're not in a position where they can wrestle and prevail with God, I tell you, if there's one force that the devil fears in great measure, it is holy men and women of God who are united, filled with the love of God, filled with the Holy Ghost, filled with faith, holding on to the promises of God, wrestling with God, and pushing the battle to the enemy gates. I tell you, he fears that. Like as if there is an atomic weapon, a nuke pointed right at his chest. And I am so delighted your church stands out very powerfully and very poignantly and significantly during the whole COVID era when you had at least three prayer meetings most weeks over so, so many months. And I know that those times of prayer and Bible study are continuing by and large for the most part. Amazing, amazing. Your church grew and God was honored and glorified when many other churches were actually forced or indeed, indeed accepted closure as if there was no other alternative. And uh, many of those churches, their congregations have been decimated and um, scattered, and many have never come back to the church, clearly. So God has honored this church for placing the emphasis positively on prayer. And I pray that this will always be a strong praying church as well as a strong preaching church. I believe it will, by the grace of God. And God's servant, Pastor Bertie, has set a very, very good precedent for those who will come after him. And so there was a prolonged prayer meeting. I am talking about the dynamic of the early church. And I'm talking about the key to that dynamic. And I think it's appropriate that we examine that uh, somewhat at the beginning of this new year, uh, 2023. I step aside just a moment to emphasize again that the Great Commission has never been greater. The population of the world uh, was infinitesimal in terms of number. I'm not exactly sure what that number might be, uh, clearly. Uh, at the beginning or even at the end of the first century. It was relatively, relatively small compared to what it is today. When Jesus initially gave the Great Commission, go ye into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. And then I, I have said this, this uh, Great Commission, it has been reiterated with slightly different words, but still very poignant and very strong. 
but ye shall receive power after that the Holy Ghost has come upon you. And ye shall be witnesses unto me, both in Jerusalem and in all Judea, and in Samaria, a bit further out from Judea, and unto the uttermost parts of the earth. And that covers every landmass, every island, every people group, every people of every tongue, language, culture, right around the world. Then, and over the centuries, and now, imagine eight billion people plus eight billion and growing, and the vast majority do not know Jesus. According to the statistics, there is somewhere in the region of two billion professing Christians, but they're not all evangelical Christians, but they bear that name. So that means there's a very, very huge number of people in the world that are not born again. And there are many, many who are very hostile to the gospel. Many, indeed, who um, are so opposed to the gospel that they will actually kill and murder and imprison those who profess Jesus' name. I am saying the Great Commission, the Great Commission has never been greater. But this point I want to make to you, if the early church or the church uh, that followed on from the New Testament church, if they had adhered to the words of the Lord Jesus, if they had taken this scripture that I've just read in your hearing to heart about receiving the dynamic of the Holy Ghost and taking the gospel to their Jerusalem, that is their immediate vicinity, and to their Samaria, which is just outside the region of their Jerusalem, and to the uttermost parts of the earth, I believe the whole world, to a greater or lesser extent, I know it's a tall order, and I know that generations come and go, and I know it's difficult to get a, a, a second, never mind a third, generation that is true to the gospel and true to the spirit of missionary endeavor and worldwide evangelization, I know. But I am saying if we had taken to heart or if we kept in focus this great truth, there would be vastly more Christians, evangelical Bible-believing churches, men and women in heaven, and millions, millions more on their way to heaven if this linkage that I have established between the baptism of the Holy Ghost, that is, the fullness of the Spirit of God and, and the total yieldedness of our lives to the Holy Spirit, for God to flow through us and use us in soul winning and in building His kingdom. Is that a consideration that you've ever applied your thinking, your mind to? clearly. We should be willing to do whatever it takes, whatever God has outlined. The Lord Jesus was very uh, careful to emphasize um, in the verse number four where we started off our reading, and being assembled together with them, he commanded them that they should not depart from Jerusalem. It may be that some of them were, were ready to go, it may be that some of them had their bags packed and they said, yes, yes, uh, uh, um, Jesus is gone now. <coughs> uh, he's gone back to heaven. And um, he told us to preach the gospel and tell everybody, get the good news out. And I'm, I'm going to leave in the morning. And I'm going to go uh, uh, 500 miles away to a mission field. No, 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 no. Jesus said, Tarry. Don't go. Not yet. Not yet. If you go, you will not be fit to do the job. If you go, you will not have what it takes. I say we need the power of the Holy Ghost to speak with authority. We need the power of the Holy Ghost 
to sustain the tests and the trials and the challenges. We need the Holy Ghost to pray. We need the Holy Ghost to help us to love those who beat us and put us into prison. Or perhaps like Stephen, the first Christian martyr who was stoned to death. We need the Holy Ghost to love those who are most unlovely. And so we're not aware that anybody went. And I am saying that as they said in a, a kind of a way, uh, farewell to, to the Lord Jesus. I, I expect the ascending of the Lord Jesus to heaven wasn't a totally unexpected event. I am sure that he gave them some information about what was going to happen that day. I'm sure it just didn't happen uh, as, a, as a surprise to, to all of them. Many of them gathered to witness that event, and he was taken, taken up, we read, by a cloud into the presence of God. It was slightly different from what happened to Elijah when he was taken home to heaven in a chariot of fire, but he was caught up. He went home to his father, and he took his seat at the right hand of the father as our great advocate, our great intercessor, and as our, our, dear, our dear friend in the glory. And I can see the disciples and all the other followers of the Lord Jesus standing there, and they were transfixed. They were transfixed. Their eyes were glued on the sky. They could see him going up, 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 up. And the form was growing smaller and smaller and smaller. They could see him until there was nothing else to view or to see. And even after Jesus disappeared, they, kept, they still kept looking up. And the angels had to interfere. We've read those words a couple of times now. While they looked steadfastly toward heaven, they wondered if he would come back again, perhaps, as they looked steadfastly toward heaven, behold, two men stood by them in white apparel. Two angels in the form of humankind. In white apparel. And then they began to speak words and said, Ye men of Galilee, why stand ye here? Gazing up into heaven. I said it was a rebuke. This same Jesus which ye see go into heaven shall so come in like manner as ye have seen him go into heaven. So the point of the statement that I want to emphasize just now is why are you standing here gazing up into heaven? Here are the people that the Lord Jesus is depending on to share the gospel to the ends of the earth. Here are the people that Jesus has commissioned to preach the gospel until the last one has heard, and they are gazing around them. Is it not true that the church is still gazing around? Is it not true that the church has become very insular? The church, rather the world, the concept of the world that is without Christ, the concept of the world that is needing to be reached with the gospel, in the, in the minds of many pastors, ministers, and preachers, it is encapsulated inside of four walls. Their world, their world is their congregation. 
And there's many churches that never, never consider taking the gospel seriously outside the church and outside of those whose names are written on a membership book in that church. There is no burden. There's no vision. There is no concern. It is within the walls. It is as if they are paid to confine themselves and to restrict the message uh, going out insofar as the limited vision and the limited concern and probably the limited um, ministry that is exercised. There are some churches and they never have a missionary meeting. There are some churches and they never pray for the foreign mission field and for the missionaries who are engaged in taking the gospel to the uttermost parts of the earth. Many have forgotten about the huge tracts of the world that are enslaved still by the, the powers of communism, like China and still very many in the regions called Russia. We forget about the huge hundreds of millions that are Buddhists, the hundreds of millions that are caught up in so many other complicated uh, faiths that have existed for hundreds, if not thousands of years. We, we, we only think about our own backyard, not even our own backyard, I've been saying, just inside the church. But I put it to you here this morning as bluntly and as pointedly as ever I possibly can. It must be, it must be, I say it must be that we are not filled with the Holy Ghost. It must be. Otherwise, we would have a power within us catapulting us out, out, out there somewhere. Onto the streets, onto the mission fields of the world. And believe me, England is a mission field. All of it. Scotland, once called the land of the book, now they're trying to ban the Bible entirely. Heathen. So few, so few churches. I read an article uh, just a few weeks ago. And actually, the article was from a, a dated copy of the National Geographic, Ge Geographic. And it was speaking about all the ch churches back then that were being actually uh, uh, commandeered, taken over by all manner of organizations, actually. Churches, beautiful churches with stained glass windows. Beautiful churches in great repair. But the congregations had died out and they were converting them into medical centers, converting them into cultural centers converted them into restaurants and, and dwelling houses. And they were saying, really, we're doing the church a favor. And the church should thank us for doing this because we're preserving the church. Instead of knocking it down, we're taking it over. And I am saying that our land, uh, the United Kingdom, has become a heathen nation, a heathen society. And so I repeat my point again, if we were filled with the Holy Ghost, our prayer lives would be deeper, our vision would be greater, broader, our passion would be uh, uh, overwhelming, and we would want to move, we would want to move. When I was a young Christian, back over 50 years ago, um, having come to Christ on the border village of Rosley and attending a little Irish evangelistic mission hall, which was my church. There was no evangelical church within very, very many miles where I lived. That was my church. And the Tuesday prayer meeting was my Tuesday appointment with God. I never, never missed it, never missed it. And the Sunday night meeting, that was my church. That's where I got a lot of my teaching, my encouragement, my inspiration. Living in a non-godly family all of that time. When I left home in 1970 to go to Edinburgh to um, study theology, uh, there was nobody on the Lord's side in our home, nobody. The home was a cursing, 
um, an ungodly home, which was the home of an alcoholic. In fact, it was like uh, the backyard of hell. And frequently, when I would be on my knees seeking God in the morning, my father would rush into my room and catch me by the scurf of the neck, and he'd throw me down the stairs. He would say, what are you doing wasting time? You should be out milking the cows. You should be out doing your chores. And many a beating I got which I did not deserve. But I am saying that my heart was hungry for God. My heart was hungry for the fullness of God. I remember hearing a preacher preach uh, about laying your all on the altar. I don't know if he was speaking about Abraham offering up Isaac, that amazing story in uh, Genesis 22. And um, laying your all on the altar, giving God all of you, holding nothing back, yielding yourself utterly and entirely to the Lord and to His will. And I remember one day uh, after hearing that message, it was a few days later, I was thinking about it, and I remember trying to turn over in my mind that concept, yielding your all, laying your life on the altar. I, I was trying to get my head around that. And I remember running into my home and running up the stairs, getting down on my knees and crying out to God, whatever this means, Lord, whatever it means to lay your all on the altar, to surrender one's life to you, I want to do that now. And whenever I heard preachers preaching about the fullness of the Holy Spirit, I used to inquire, what is this? What is this? Have I not received the Lord Jesus into my life as my Savior? Yes, I have. And I was very, very aware of that. Is there something more? I heard men of God, and many of them have gone home to glory, and my dear brother Bertie and my sister Pat, they know them well, who came and preached, and preached a very sweet, dynamic, powerful message of ministry to the heart of the Christian. And I began to hunger, and I began to long for something deeper, something more. And I want to tell you, as I entered in those thoughts, I had a tug at my heart. I had a tug at my heart. In fact, I could say from the day I got saved, I felt the call to preach. Even in the environment that I lived in, I didn't understand all the ramifications of it, but I felt something pulling me, pulling me. What is a preacher? How does one become a preacher? What does one have to do to be this kind of person? I felt a tug. And as the months and as the years passed, and going to these prayer meetings, and now I was attending three prayer meetings every week during all those years before I left. Well, it wasn't a big number of years before I left uh, for Edinburgh. I was hungering for God, hungering for more of God, hungering for more of the Holy Ghost, yielding my life to the, to the Holy Ghost, realizing as I went out to preach, I needed the Holy Ghost. I needed the touch of God. God needed to release my voice, my mind, my spirit, and take a hold on me and use me if anything was to be accomplished. And I am saying for over 50 years, this has been my theology. This has been the passion of my life. And I want that to become the passion of your life. Please cultivate a spiritual heart. Cultivate a spiritual, a dynamic disposition for the things of God, for the Word of God. Get more of the Word of God into your heart. Get more of the Holy Ghost into your heart. Because as we live, our spirit expands. As we live, there are, there are uncharted waters deep within our soul and our spirit. Let the Holy Spirit capture and captivate all of you all of the time. I say, dear brothers and sisters, we will never see our neighborhood 
one to Jesus Christ. Never mind the uttermost parts of the earth unless we are filled with the Holy Ghost. And in those earlier years, as I worked around the countryside with agricultural equipment for my nationalist neighbors, I shared the gospel everywhere I went. I remember stopping, standing at the top of what we called then Copper Alley, but now it's called Church Street, Copper Alley, in Rossley, and all my neighbors all gathered around, hearing, hearing my testimony and the gospel preached. And I would sing as I did my work. I couldn't sing very, I don't sing very well now, so I didn't sing at all well then. But I had something in me that wanted to get out. I want to ask you, is there something in you? Is there something that God has given you that's in you that wants to get out? Is there a passion? Is there a call? A stirring from heaven? That will propel you to the mission fields of England or Scotland or to the Irish Republic or to Africa. I say something needs to happen if the world is to be reached, men and women. And God is passionate and serious about getting the message out to the ends of the earth. I can see Peter that day. Um, he has just come out of the upper room. In fact, here he is. Here he is. He's in the upper room. And um, he has been dealing with some unfinished business. In this case, it had to do with uh, appointing the, 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 the missing uh, person from the 12 apostles. It was unfinished business, and they felt they needed to attend to that, even during all these sacred things that were going on in that upper room. They found time. They, they, they made an interval. And, of course, they cast lots and they chose Matthias. But I want to, I want to say to you, in a, in a more spiritual sense, have you any unfinished business with God insofar as your walk with God is concerned? The Holy Spirit is only given, we read, in the Acts, only given to those who obey Him. Only given to those who obey Him. Are you hearing me now? Have you any unfinished business? Can I ask you directly, as your brother, and I speak on behalf of the Lord, is there somebody in this church is there somebody in your family, somebody at your workplace or in your school or college? Is there somebody in your neighborhood whom you have wronged and you need to forgive them? You will never get the Holy Ghost. The Holy Ghost will not take to do with you if there is unforgiveness in your heart of any, any sort or kind. Let me ask you, Scripture declares God requires that which is past. When I became a Christian, having lived an ungodly life, I told you, as I shared testimony uh, some year or two ago, that I had uh, a challenge from God to put right all the wrongs I had ever, ever, ever done. It took me three years to do so, to make restitution for the wrongs I had done. I prayed. I prayed. I saved and saved money. I, 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 I traveled far and wide in order to make restitution until the time came when I knew and God bore witness with my spirit that I had covered all and everything. Is there anybody that you owe something to? Is there anything stolen that you've never returned? Is there anything in your home that doesn't belong to you? Some people are driving cars, maybe wearing clothes, or you have clothes in your wardrobe, or you have books on your shelf that don't belong to you. 
Oh, there's money you've borrowed and promised to pay back, but you never have, and both you and they have forgotten about it. You need to remember, search your heart. I am saying, let us be serious. Let us put right all that is amiss in our lives. Let us be serious with God. Let us not play games. We are dealing with eternity. We are dealing with worldwide evangelization. And God wants to use you to a greater or lesser extent in accomplishing that. So make sure there's nothing in your life that would hinder that happening. Are you willing to pay the price? What about your life? Have you placed the last piece <coughs> of your life your last ambition? Have you surrendered your future and your family to God so that there is nothing, nothing hindering you from being the kind of person God wants you to be? The Holy Ghost wants to take possession of you. Wants to take possession of you. You say, me? <laughs> yes, you. For why? In order to try and reach the unreached, and to take the gospel to the uttermost parts of the earth. And for you, it might be a call to do that through um, perhaps uh, media facilities or in some other ways. You're writing or going with the gospel as a regular missionary. I'm saying Peter was in that upper room and do you know what? The group of apostles, as they were called, the twelve of them, they were a motley crew. And they didn't always agree. It was a most carnal bunch. A most carnal bunch. They were more interested about uh, the chief seats in heaven, if you don't mind. In heaven. Sitting closest to the Lord. When they got home to glory... Some of them wanted to call down fire on the Samaritans who were casting out demons in, in Jesus' name. Jesus said, leave them alone. Those that are for me can't be against me. Leave them alone. I am saying to you <clears throat> that they were a motley and a defeated crew. That group would never, never, never have made the impact in Jerusalem that day if it had not been for the 10 days prayer meeting, if it had not been for the sound of a rushing mighty wind that broke into that place, and some feel that there was a loud noise, so much so when that great gush of wind that came from heaven came, that everybody, everybody rushed to the scene to see what had happened. What was the cause of this? And so they came out of that place having been all filled with the Holy Ghost. Remember they were with one accord, unfinished business. There was no more unfinished business. You deal with the unfinished business in your life. I'm saying, get out there. Um, that cloven tongue, like as a fire, purified their hearts, baptized them with a, 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 a dynamic, a power that they never, never knew anything about before. Don't be afraid of the Holy Ghost. Don't be afraid of God calling you to be a missionary. He might even just be testing you. He might call you to stay at home, but you've got to be willing. You've got to be willing. He may not call you to be a missionary abroad. He may call you to be an evangelist at home. But that's not your prerogative. That is His. If you're yielded to Him... You must be willing to hear and obey. And Peter, he, he, he can't wait. We're, t we're told here, he stood up. This was the Peter who denied his Lord three times. Would you believe it? And it seemed like he used bad language or some form of swearing. It may not have been blasphemy. It could have been some form of swearing. But whatever it was, it was not good. He denied his Lord three times. And he wept and repented and got back to God and Jesus recommissioned him and here he is in that prayer meeting and the Holy Ghost sits, rests upon Peter. The flame of fire is on Peter's head and Peter can see it on John's head. But not on his own. God came. 
the power of the Holy Ghost came in a manifest way. <clears throat> and he's standing up now. I'm calling on you today in Jesus' name to stand up for Jesus. Not to stand up in this meeting. Stand up for Jesus. Stand up for Jesus at your school. Stand up for Jesus in your factory where you work. Stand up for Jesus in your community. And if you're in a shop or in a public place and you see somebody cursing the Lord or, or, or doing something denying the Lord in some blasphemous way, you stand up and speak out. If they said anything about your family, you'd be quick to speak out and to say, excuse me, that's my family you're talking about. Excuse me, that's my Jesus, my Savior, you're blaspheming. How dare you? God wants you to stand up for him and stand out, I am saying, and speak out. Peter begins to preach, and he preached one of the most powerful sermons that was ever recorded in the New Testament. It was full of the cross, full of the blood of Jesus, full of the deity of Jesus. It was full of the resurrection. It was full of the, 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 the wonderful purpose of God in redemption. Powerful sermon. And at the end of it all, 3,000 souls got saved. If 300 people got saved in Dungannon, don't you think you'd hear about it? The next day, if 300 got saved at the same time, if 3,000 got saved in Belfast or Londonderry, don't you think you'd, you'd, you'd hear about it? I tell you, I tell you, wouldn't it be awesome? 3,000... <coughs> 3,000 in Jerusalem got saved at the one time. And all, they all became part of the church. The church is just coming out of the womb. Just coming out of the womb. Remember, it is only 40 or 50 days. It's only a month and a half since Jesus died on the cross. And Peter's preaching, and as he preaches, he can see, he can see the blood oozing out of the, the, the wounded hands. And the thorn-crowned brow and the pierced, wounded side, he can see it as he preaches. It's so vivid and so fresh. And we should preach the gospel like as if we were standing at the foot of the cross. That's how Isaiah wrote about it in Isaiah 53, like he was there. And it hadn't happened yet, 1,500 years away from it. When the Holy Spirit comes upon us, I say it makes a difference. I remember the times when I was preaching in, in Soro, in Ethiopia, to a congregation of 2,000 people, mostly young people under the age of 35. And I remember preaching, actually about Abraham offering up Isaac. <coughs> and I demonstrated that message, as quite often I do in Africa. They like a little bit of uh, dramatism. And the people, the people were sitting sitting on the edges of their seat. They were sitting, and it seemed as if they were coming closer and closer to the pulpit. The whole story was alive. It was alive. They were there. <coughs> they were at Mount Moriah. They were at Mount Calvary long before the time. They could see it all happening. And when the Holy Ghost is on a life, I say, you speak, and the truth becomes so vivid. It becomes so real. I am saying that when there's an awakening, people will forever remember the sermon preached and the uh, experiences of that event. They will remember because there's something, there's a, a dynamic behind it that is unusual. I must finish. I want to ask you, are you interested in the Holy Ghost? Are you interested in being filled with the Holy Ghost? Are you interested in God using you? Are you willing to put things right? Are you willing to sell out and surrender your life to Jesus? Are you willing to make, allow him to make a home in your heart? I'm talking about the power of the Holy Ghost, the third blessed, adorable person of the Trinity. Will you invite him to come into your life? Will you begin to seek him, seek him sincerely and earnestly until you know he has come and he has taken over in your life? I want you to know that when that happens in your devotional life, you will be experiencing a new dimension.
I want you to know you will be a difficult boy or man or lady to keep away from the church prayer meeting or the church meetings. You will have a burden and a passion to reach the lost. And you'll be saying, Lord, what can I do for you? Lord, I want, I want, I want to volunteer, Lord. What, what can I do to be a part of this team that will take the gospel to the uttermost parts of the earth? Pastor Bertie and Pastor Stephen, they would be the happiest people in Dungannon if a number of you left the church to take the gospel to some distant part. Would you accept that challenge? And ye shall receive power. After that, the Holy Ghost has come upon you, and ye shall be witnesses. And that word witness means the same as martyr, willing to die. And there's a sense in which unless you're willing to die for Jesus, you're not fit or qualified to live for Him. Witnesses unto Him. In Jerusalem, that would be Dungannon and the Moy. Samaria, that may be some of the more distant counties of our land, if not England, Scotland and Wales, and the uttermost parts of the earth. That could be the Ukraine. Ukraine, after this war, is won, after Putin is beaten and humiliated and overthrown, and when this country gets back on its feet, they will need hundreds and thousands of missionaries. The greatest country, biggest country in Europe, and maybe God will want you there. Father, now would you bless your word to the people? Somehow, Lord, somehow, somehow. The ministry has been a little bit different than what we'd planned. But I pray in Jesus' name, somehow, that you will put a hunger and a thirst, a passion, a burden, a prayer into some heart here today. Lord, fill me. Lord Jesus, by the power of the Holy Ghost, take possession of me. Sweep into my life the way you swept into the lives of those in that upper room. And Lord, let that Holy Ghost fullness, that new dynamic, let it have its outflow in my life being used in getting the gospel out even to the ends of the earth. Gracious Father, Bless your word and bless the dear people who have patiently sat and listened and received your word. We want more of you, Lord. We want more of you. We're not satisfied. We want more of you. Oh, blessed, dear, sweet Holy Spirit, come. In all your gracious, impacting fullness, take possession of us. If every believer in this house today, Lord, was filled, was really filled with the Holy Ghost, revival would have begun in Northern Ireland. There would be a new page, a new chapter. This community would never be the same. Lord, have your way. Please, Lord, please have your way with each of us. We pray humbly, giving thanks in Jesus' name. Amen.